the Accidental Engineer. Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today, we're joined by Ryan Burgess. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. By all means, for audience that don't know, uh, maybe I'll hit it off to you to introduce yourself, but I'll preface just by saying that Ryan has a tremendously successful podcast himself called Front End Happy Hour. Uh, for our audience that haven't listened to it, do you mind giving a brief introduction to the types of topics you cover and the format that you guys do? Yeah, I think you're overselling us at tremendously successful. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've uh, we definitely have a podcast going for front end development. I mean, we cover all ranges of topics, but typically around front end, but it will do things around career growth, uh, interviewing. Um, so some of the really deep technical topics to, you know, other things that really affect us as engineers. Um, so the funny thing about it too, is like, you know, we don't take it super seriously, but we cover, have a lot of good content. Um, but the reason why I say we don't take it that seriously is it's meant to be really casual conversation and we are drinking while we're doing it. So the whole point of the happy hour is that we are having, uh, drinks and just casually talking. Uh, we've had to kind of pivot a little bit, not really, but in the sense that now being in COVID, uh, we've had to start recording remote. That is not a thing that we ever did. We were always in the same room. Even when we have guests on, they're in the same room with us. And so we're all sitting around a table having drinks. So that was a, that's a little bit different for us as having to be remote now. It feels a little bit weird. It, it takes a little bit out of the whole feeling of being around a table, having drinks with your friends and, and chatting. Uh, but we're making it work and I'm happy we're still recording. Totally. I thought this would be a really good opportunity as sort of a meta podcast episode about podcasts. And I love it. I think it's awesome that you guys have moved successfully from the in-person format where you guys are recording around a table to remote with coronavirus, which is a, a change that I made from when I first started the podcast recording in person to recording remotely. For our audience that aren't familiar with what the technical implications of that are or the implications for the quality of your content. Can you paint a picture for audience members about what that shift was like? Yeah, it was an interesting shift. I think even from the start, when I think about when we were in person, there's, it has its, uh, there's, there's, problematic things that can happen in the sense that we always there's like a large panel of us like you and I are just the two of us right now and so there's like six of us that could be on the podcast sometimes up to like eight people on the podcast like if you start adding guests um, depending on who's all joining and that could be difficult in itself in the same room making sure that everyone is mic'd properly and that you're getting good audio but now jumping on calls there's you know over video there's lag uh that's that's not helpful at all when you're trying to record we do record uh like over video and just using zoom and we're recording that way but we also all record locally as well and then afterwards i'm editing it and pulling it all together which even then it's hard to sync up all those audio files it's it's not an easy thing which i'm sure you're aware of that too um but it, other than that it 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 worked well we were we all know each other really well and are comfortable with each other and i think that helps too so it didn't really feel like we skipped a beat on having to learn anything just maybe some of the technical details um, we didn't change any of our 
uh, recording equipment or anything like that. I wonder if this is true for you post coronavirus remote recording switch, but for me, I discovered that the a couple of things happened with guests, which was it became a lot easier to schedule and find a common time to record, much much easier than previous when I tried to bring the guest over to a recording space or I'd go to the guest. And the second consequence of it, besides improved scheduling, was improved no-show rates, where it would be, you know, like a half hour, an hour, in some cases, for guests to get to me in the Bay Area, or vice versa, me get to them. No-show rate went from like, I don't know, 20-30% to virtually 0%. Like, I, it's shocking how much easier scheduling is when the commitment to record is hopping on a, on a video conference. I, I realize that the format you conduct on front end happy hour is quite a bit different. It's not, it's not as much a rotating series of uh, once and only once guests, but is scheduling something that you've discovered to be a lot easier for podcast production with the remote recording studio? Yes and no. I think like it's still sometimes harder to fit in everyone's schedule. And the one thing is nice for us is like having a regular panel. We don't all expect that we're all going to be there for every single episode, which is great. It's like, you still have enough people to cover a topic. Um, it has been a little bit easier to open up to adding more guests, uh, because when we don't record remote, like we're getting reached out to all the time, like, Hey, I would love to be a guest on, on front end happy hour. I'm like, cool. Hit us up the next time you're in the Bay area or, you know, we've recorded in many different cities, um, across the U S I don't think we've done any international yet that I can think of, but we'll be at maybe conferences or different things where we will actually record with people there um, or if we're traveling. But yeah, it's to, so that kind of opened up the door a little bit. But to one of the cons um, for having a remote guest is you are also relying on them to be having the equipment or, you know, a good internet connection, uh, just like maybe headphones. Like that's a big thing too, is that you don't want the feedback from as you're all talking to now be picked up from their side of it. And so I think that has been a little bit challenging too, is like, I feel like I'm asking more of my guests than I was when I'm like, yeah, just show up, you know, wherever we're recording, show up. We even provide you with whatever alcohol that you really like or happy hour beverage of choice. We'll make sure that that's there. So I feel like now I'm having to ask people things like, oh, you know, make sure to try and record locally. Hey, if you have a mic, that's great. Please wear headphones. It just feels like I'm asking more than I would like to. It's like you're being a guest on our show. I want to make it really easy for you. For audience members of ours who are imagining why in the heck someone would try starting a podcast about software engineering, what was your original motivation? And I realize this is a much bigger question, but has it sort of panned out as you hoped it to, as you hoped it would towards the goal that you started with? <laughs> I love that you thought I had a goal, uh, <laughs> which is funny. So yeah, no, it panned out really well. Uh, seriously, when I first thought of the idea of, I just was like, I would love to just do a podcast. I think that's really cool. Uh, I think it should be really easy to do. We are having great conversations all the time as, as engineers. It's, we enjoy doing talking about that. So let's make a podcast about that. And then it was just simply like finding a few people that would be maybe interested in doing that. And then we started to just 
throw around the idea of like, well, it should be a casual conversation. And then we're like, well, like over drinks, like that's a lot of the times that we find ourselves is just grabbing a beer at a pub or, or whatever it is, or a friend's house and you're having these conversations. And so that was really the premise of it. And then lucky enough, search frontendhappyhour.com. Oh, it's available. So there you go, named and, and done. Uh, but yeah, we did. I didn't really have much expectations. It was just kind of like a fun thing to pull people together and have these conversations, hit record. If if five people in the world think it's interesting, great. And it's it's just continued to grow with people in, enjoying it and, you know, sending us all these great messages, how helpful it's been. I didn't expect that either. You know, it, you never know that some of the words that you're sharing are actually helping someone in their career, uh, whether it be just learning something new or actually growing in their career. And so we've heard a lot of this, like, really positive feedback that continues to just make us want to keep going. Uh, it's still fun, too. I think if it was felt like work, yeah, we might we might back out on it a little bit. I mean, there's a little bit of work to it. Like like you said, the scheduling, editing is, you know, a bit of work too. But there again, the editing part to me feels really important to just put out really good quality for people listening. I think there's a, a meaningfully big difference between having a happy hour, just social hour, and then having that happy hour, social hour, and pressing the record button maybe editing, maybe throwing it online later. And I, I know you're, you're, um, you're being very modest about the audience. Uh, and I really want to hear the types of positive feedback you've gotten in terms of how the show's helped people. I think that's always super cool to hear. Um, but if you had an idea of the ideal audience member that you had in mind when you, when you maybe first pressed the record button, that, that's a big leap to make from having a conversation to recording and publishing the conversation. So uh, I, may, I, I realize it may not feel that way, but for audience members who've never done it before, uh, can you describe kind of how you thought about an audience for the show when you first started out? Yeah, I mean, I think it, the way we thought of it is like more for developers like us, engineers, just like having those conversations, we thought it would be just interesting to share our perspectives i don't know like honestly i don't i feel like we should have put more thought into uh like what's the goal of this like how are we going to be strategic about finding the right audience and like who is that audience i would like to say that we thought about all those things but we really didn't we just kind of pulled it together and started releasing content and just it started to you know take off and audience started to be building up so that that's been good. Um, now I think like we interact with our audience a lot through Twitter too, just asking, you know, what type of content do you want to learn about, and you know, what would you like us to discuss? What topics? Those types of things have been really helpful uh, to just get some of that input and feedback, which is really good. You know, it's been. You mentioned some of the positive things, or like wanting to know more of that. I think there's been some really interesting things where people have actually even thanked us for getting their next job like they felt like they walked into an interview more confident because we talked about the interview and how to you know how to prep for that or just to be thinking about the right questions to ask and we've had a few episodes specifically from like a recruiter standpoint or uh, some us interviewing a candidate um, all those types of things are have been really interesting to hear the perspectives that people have gotten uh, we've also heard a lot uh, of positive feedback on one that we've done it was probably a good year or two ago, but on imposter syndrome. 
and it was very humbling for people to uh or maybe yeah i guess humbling the right word but that for them to feel like oh hey like the everyone goes through this this isn't just me um and and just feeling like oh wow they're all talking about like they're going through this um and this is like a normal thing and putting a label on it and that was uh, one that i feel like a lot of people constantly mention uh but also just like some engineers that you know, maybe aren't working in Silicon Valley. Now they're getting a bit of a light into what, what is it like to work at a large company, um, you know, a tech company like Netflix or LinkedIn, Microsoft, like those types of companies that not everyone is working at. And like, how are we dealing with scale? What are we thinking about? And so a lot of those things, perspectives start coming out in the episodes as well. Totally. Totally. I, I remember, uh, an encounter I had with an audience member that I never met before. This was my first encounter with an audience member I didn't know from real life before doing the podcast. And I was, A, got really awesomely positive feedback of the type you just described where, you know, the content helped them feel more confident going into job interviews, maybe helped them get that job offer. Uh, what I was surprised to hear is that she listens to episodes at three times the normal playback speed. I was like shocked. As soon as I finished having that conversation, I went and tried listening to a podcast at three times the normal speed. And I could, it was gobbledygook. But the way she described it to me is that she'd listen to the content and as it would get into jargony technical stuff, she'd slow it down, rewind to the technical wording and phrasing. And that would be a helpful jump off point for her to research topics she didn't know. And it's really rare to get direct feedback in this kind of a one directional format. Like we don't have callers that, that call into the live show or anything. Uh, but I've, I'm curious, you mentioned Twitter. Have you thought about incorporating any other degree of interactivity with audience members? That's maybe more real time. Yeah, we, we have, we've done, I believe one, maybe two where we've done like AMA, like ask me anything uh, type where, we really encouraged people to even send us like uh, a message. Like we had opened up like a Google phone number and people could phone in and record a message just mainly because it's like, that's kind of cool to actually hear yourself on the podcast or asking the question that way. So we got questions that, and actually through Twitter, people would ask questions too. And so we were just that episode, we just sat there and answered off questions, uh, which was a lot of fun too. We, Early on in the COVID uh, being in quarantine, we said, let's do a Twitch stream and people joined and asked us a bunch of questions. Like, I think that I don't think we actually recorded or released it as a podcast. It was just like a fun video um, of us all just talking. But same thing. People are just asking random questions and we just started answering them um, as a panel. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then we've done a lot of live recordings uh, on stage at conferences. There's been quite a few that we've done there. And those have been really interesting too, because really it just ends up being a panel, right? Like it's, we have a topic and we're talking on stage. I'll be interviewing the rest of the panel. We're all talking and, and that's pretty much it. And we're able to record that, but it's, it's just been fun too. And we're also able to drink on stage, which is pretty cool too. I have never given a conference talk by myself where I'm able to have, you know, a beer or whiskey in hand. So it's kind of cool that way too. When, when you first started recording and producing the show, 
had you done so previous? Like, how did you uh, acquire the knowledge and the tools to produce the show? Like, I, I'm guessing it's a similar story to my own, but I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear your, your story. I think you and I have talked about this before. Uh, yeah, no, I had no clue. We Like, none of us did. Uh, it was just learning as we went. The first few episodes were not the best sounding quality uh, for audio, but we learned as we went and we improved. And it, it also felt like, okay, we can invest more in equipment too, right? Like, if people are actually listening, you're like, all right, well, let's invest in better equipment. And, you know, the first little bit, it's just like, let's start and just see if we can do this and, and get a rhythm of it and learn as we go. Uh, so yeah, no, I feel like the first time I know we only had one single, uh, blue Yeti mic for like six, seven of us around a table. We just set it in the middle and you, the blue Yeti picks up a lot of sound, but not really well for that many people. And so there was things like that that we used. Uh, I believe QuickTime was what we recorded it with, which is not the best for audio. So I recommend other things. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, but that's how we started. And then I believe by like episode nine, maybe 10, we each individually had our own Blue Yeti mic and we were recording a, a track for each person, which there again, Blue Yeti is a great mic, but it, it's not the best for uh, trying to have multiple mics plugged into one computer. They all run on the same serial number, which doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, yeah, that's what you have to deal with too. So we had to send mics back to Blue, Blue the company, and have the serial number changed. And then even then, you're only able, in the MacBooks, able to plug three in, or the fourth one will cancel them all out. Uh, so... <laughs> We ended up having like multiple computers going. We've since, I don't know when we changed, but it's been a long time since we've used the Blue Yetis. We've been using a mixer and like XLR mics. Um, it's made our lives a lot easier. Well, now now that you've gone remote, you the the multitude of mics you have are are uh, I don't know. I, can you still utilize them at all or? Oh, they're all just sitting in a box, basically. I mean, <laughs> I use the one I'm right now recording through the one XLR through the mixer. So, I mean, it still works. Um, but yes, you. I don't need as many channels that I have in this mixer. Like that was another thing is we have a fairly large mixer because of how many people typically will be on. The nice thing is, though, that we all have these Blue Yetis is everyone else is using the Blue Yeti which is great. So it's not, uh, I guess we haven't ditched them completely. We're back on them individually, which is good. When, when people imagine what might happen to a podcast after you hit stop on the record button, can you paint a picture for people about how your editing flow works and, and what it, what it, the process looks like from stopping a recording to publishing to the World Wide web? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm sure you can chime in on some of these oh, too. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, yeah. Uh, for me, like for Front End Happy Hour, the editing part, we don't really remove much. It's rare. I mean, we always give, tell guests, like if there's anything you say that you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said, or ourselves, like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. Especially when you're having drinks, things can be said. We'll always remove that. I think that's like fair and we should always be thoughtful around that. But majority of the time, it's not a lot of like, oh, we should edit this or change this. It's it's more 
the majority of the editing is very tedious in the sense that I'm just cutting where someone's talking and muting the rest of the mics. So because we each have, so if there's six people on, there's six tracks. And so I'll just be slicing and then say like, oh, these all drop to, to nothing and let the one person talk. And sometimes there's overlap, laughter, things like that, that you know you want to make sure comes out. So that's really the editing part. Then it's just like making sure that you fill out all the nice content of a title, which sometimes is hard to come up with. We ha- always have drinking puns that are somehow tied to whatever topic we we're doing. Someone on Reddit was like, oh, they're never going to be able to do this forever. Like, I think it was in our first like six, nine episodes. And so now that's just been like, we're not stopping. And we're at like, what, uh, I don't know, 110 episodes and we we haven't stopped. <laughs> So uh, even sometimes coming up with that is interesting. And and really to publish, uh, we have scripts that write to, you know, output to the website, um, upload to, uh, actually, we just use SoundCloud for the audio that's stored there. And that's pretty much it. I don't think there's too much else. I, I can draw a ton of similarities between your process and the one that I follow for external engineer and the realization I had very early on in like the first six to nine episodes like you did is that if you spend too much time on editing, it becomes a super demotivational stage in the yep. process. And if you feel the the effort and time invested in editing isn't worth the squeeze, then of course you'll, you'll stop producing episodes. You'll stop recording more out of dread of having to edit them. So... In my podcasting, similarly over 100 episodes now, the podcasters I've encountered who similarly, maybe same format or same kind of subject matter area to the show, they've, they haven't reached that 100 episode milestone. And I, I think it's largely because there's so many hangups about production and wanting to edit the content after recording to make it better in whatever form that looks like. But I think having the attitude of, we're having a conversation. Why not record it and make it live? And yep. there are audience members out there in on planet Earth <laughs> that will get some value out of it. So just, I mean, publishing is better than not publishing. And that's the philosophy that it sounds like both of us have come to the conclusion is the healthy way to, to get at it no matter what. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. It's like if it was too much of a tax, then it's, it's just... Sometimes it feels like it. I'm going to not even lie. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I still have to edit that. And, you know, holding to myself to release it. Uh, we release bi-weekly and, you know, holding myself to that release date. It, it's good. But yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, I got to go do that before the end of the night because it's got to be released. Uh, so sometimes it drags. And I couldn't imagine doing like a fully heavily produced edited podcast i think for ours or yours as well is the conversation aspect is like don't overdo it there like i mean some of the more narrative uh podcasts that are out there absolutely they're amazing like you know we all can probably talk about cereal like that there was so much work that went into that and just like how they made their seasons and and there's a lot more work that it's not just a conversation so um which is cool I, i think there's different formats Totally. There, when, when you start incorporating music and sound effects and spacing between audio you know, or dialogue, it becomes an art form. And 
the, there's a book I read recently in the blink of an eye about video editing that is super relevant here, which is the guy who authored it was talking about incorporating music and video. Uh, and this goes for audio too, is like music is a steroid. <laughs> like if you want to run the fastest hundred meter in the world, duh, take steroids. <laughs> I mean, obviously if it breaks the rules, that's not okay. Yeah. But, uh, in in the in the production of content, yeah, music is almost always additive. So, I yeah, I totally look up to the the higher art form audio productions like uh, like This American Life, for example. And so good. Oh my yeah. god. So I and you can't really. I mean, I'm sure it's reproducible, but I just haven't had the patience to break down exactly what it is that they're doing. Well, I think even like what you said about music, like it's so powerful, but it, it it's also hard to find the right music for the right moment. And really, as a creator, that takes a lot of work. And then you're really constrained, right? It, releasing that, it's like it has to be open sourced music. Like you can't just go grab like the latest Jay-Z song and be like, oh, this is perfect. It's like, no, you can't do that. That's like, you don't have the rights to do that. And so that makes it harder too, as you are looking for that type of uh, audio to be using in your podcast. Totally. I know, I know this is getting sidetracked from engineering, software engineering, podcasting, getting into music and stuff, but I, outside of software engineering, podcasting, ran into the same problem with YouTube videos and thinking, not thinking rather about using copyrighted music and getting auto identified in my videos as yep. using copyrighted music. And I started getting into this whole sidetrack of authoring my own music using uh, the Apple software Logic Pro. Oh, <laughs> and, nice. And they've made it so crazy easy to make your own music. Uh, I, I don't incorporate any of it on the Axel engineer, but, uh, if people are interested, the, the bar for making awesome music is lowered so low now. <laughs> There's a f functionality called live looping, which predates logic pro. There's other digital audio workstation software that predates logic pro. Uh, people might've heard of fruity loops. Um, uh, that was just going to call that one out, <laughs> <laughs> but you just, pile on layers of different looping uh, samples and you can produce crazy high quality songs and uh, it becomes a really fun exercise of layering video over the audio or syncing uh, cuts in your clips for beats in your music and haven't had an opportunity to do that with the podcast but uh, maybe maybe in both our futures there's a more uh, Art, artsy fartsy uh format for our podcasts that incorporate music <laughs> yeah i would love honestly i'd love that and like yes i've definitely played around with making my own music and yeah it would just be so hard though like i'm, I'm just imagining like yeah if you had to do that for every episode or you know set aside a large amount of time to do that yeah that's that's a lot there's you can make uh, custom ringtones of course on phones now and Apple is now packaging GarageBand iOS on iPhone. And mm -hmm. for any given pers person I might add to my, I've, I've thought about doing this, is creating a custom ringtone with a custom beat track for everybody in my uh, phone book. <laughs> so when I get a call, I get a, hey, what's up? It's Ryan Burgess calling you, right? 
<laughs> but the question is, do you actually have your phone on Ringer yeah, ever? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you're like, I did this, I did all that, but nobody can hear it. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Although you can very, very easily send audio via uh, messages or whatever messenger you have. Uh, I don't know. I think music production, the virus lowered so low, you can make such awesome stuff. Such awesome stuff. I mean, even for, even things like creating a podcast, not too hard. It's getting easier. <laughs> I mean, there's even there's even like online web tools that will like you can record and like basically upload at the same time. Totally. I what are what are some of the mistakes you'd say people might make in adopting these low barrier to entry tools for publishing podcasts that you might have made when you were first starting that you now know to no longer make those mistakes. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's important to think about where you're hosting the audio and like what benefits you're getting for it. Are you paying for it? Because, you know, some of these services will offer free for maybe so many hours uploaded. So, so much hours of audio and eventually that, that might be okay for a while and you should start there. Um, but just knowing that, yeah, it might have to start to pay for it. So being thoughtful and, and doing some research, I think, you know, there is a low barrier to get in, but I think spending some upfront time researching and understanding the benefits of what services offer and, and really what works best for you. Uh, ask others too, like yourself, uh, you know, Max, hey, like, what have, what are you using? What's worked and what didn't? I know a lot of people have asked me and I'll share like why we chose certain things and why we may not have chose others um, because you, even for your podcast, you might use something that works way better for you than it would for what we're doing. I think there's all these unique cases, even the fact that I said, you know, we have multiple mics and that's, that's already, that's changed some of the things that we've thought about. But so I think, yeah, upfront thinking about what services are out there, learning about them is good, even though there is a low barrier to entry. Um, think about audio quality as soon as you can and, and learn, you know, get good mics. I think that is a, really really important factor is it's really hard to go back and make good audio sound um, you can change hosting and and do things like that but that's that's important i'm trying to think what else <sighs> i don't know there's probably so many learnings along the way let me let me throw out one one uh one specific question about that is when it comes to hosting do you think that having an organic website, like a static web page that's got your episodes list, is as important as an RSS feed that you um, submit to iTunes or submit to Google Podcasts? Like, would you say that the the website for Front End Happy Hour is a is an, is a key aspect or property to the podcast, or do you imagine that? listenership comes from podcasting apps yeah that's a great question i want to say it's always pretty important to have a website to like people will google and and try and find you well i mean they'll google and you'll show up on apple podcasts or whatever too um so i don't i don't know it's it's not the most important thing. I would say the RSS feed is absolutely more important. Uh, making sure that you have that and plugging it into Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher. I don't know, all the different ones. Some of them just happen for free after you've done Apple, but they're making sure that you have your RSS feed 
publishing to all the different podcast uh, catchers, whatever you want to call them, apps. And that's important. The The website, funny that you say that is, I swear the longest time people didn't even know we had a website. So like some people do listen on the website, but I would say more people listen on like the app that they're most comfortable with and where they get all their podcasts or music that they're listening to. So I don't think it's a necessity, but it's also to me was a low barrier to, to have that too. Maybe it's an engineering thing where I've just always thought you need to have a website. Oh, totally. I mean, it's the same for me. Uh, I, I learned early on that to your point about, you know, minding your hosting service provider, I knew I wanted to keep these episodes online for as long as I could with the lowest recurring cost. And so I adopted static website, uh, statically generated site using Jekyll and Jekyll's got an RSS plugin for podcasting, which makes it really easy when you publish a new episode, the RSS feed gets updated. Uh, and I even go so far as hosting the the MP3s themselves of episodes on Amazon S3 behind CloudFront, the, the AWS CDN. And my costs right now are definitely under five bucks a month. But uh, I'm sure you, someone in our audience will go, hey, hey, there's a free option. But uh, I, I think it's hard to beat uh, static site hosting through something like a S3 or the Google cloud equivalent or Azure equivalent. So um, I realize the technical barrier there is <laughs> are a little high, like people might not be familiar with S3 or CloudFront or Jekyll, but yep. um, you can even do this stuff over GitHub pages to a large extent. Absolutely. Yeah. GitHub pages are great. I mean, they're, and you can host your static site for free too. So there are benefits. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the static sites too. Ours is all static as well. Uh, I mean, I guess there's some React in there, but uh, it's all generated um, through like being statically generated. The what, there's something else you had added to about um, yeah the barrier to entry. It might not be easier for someone even creating a static site, uh, dealing with S3. But I mean, there's even things like Squarespace, right? Like uh, the barrier to making websites is getting so much easier. Like you can have a, a shop on Shopify. There's all these really cool things that just make it easier. Even things like we've done t-shirts and stickers. Oh my goodness. We've done so many stickers. Like we give away stickers all the time and that's so easy nowadays. Like I remember like, I don't know, like 10 years ago, uh, I had another like uh, art blog that um, I would print, have stickers and t-shirts and, and things printed. It was so much harder. It, it just wasn't, there wasn't the services online that you could have nowadays. It, you had to pay a lot of money to get a batch or bulk orders, which you still are paying for the bulk orders, but it's just so much easier to do now. What what was the motivation to get into, I realized you knew of stickers as a, uh, as maybe a promotional tool or just a branding tool before, but how do you now in the era of COVID are those are those stickers sitting on a shelf somehow or or are you still managed to get managing to get them out to audience members? Yeah, I've still sent a few out. Not as much, definitely not as much. There's probably a large stack of them sitting at my desk uh, at Netflix that are probably filling up with dust right now. I just I, they're all over. I have some in in my house. There's probably some sitting in my car. Like there's. We have stickers in a lot of places, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just a kind of a fun promotional thing. Um, I mean, 
engineers love putting stickers on laptops. I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was just making stickers was kind of fun too. It was just like, we've had fun making different ones and just something to do. Uh, and, and it's cool to see people like asking for them too. And then the t-shirts, that was just like still another thing. Nope. We weren't trying, we didn't really do it for any profit. So we tried to sell them as exactly what, um, people would pay for them. We didn't really make any money. I think the one time we donated any of the funds, uh, as well. So just, you know, it was not really for a money grab. It was just like, cool. If you want to wear a t-shirt that we've made, that's cool. Totally. Totally. I, Wrapping up, I want to ask you about your f- perhaps favorite episode you've recorded to date, or or what you might recommend to our audience if they if they head over to the Front End Happy Hour website. Which one I should an episode I should include in the show notes, perhaps? Oh my goodness! I wish you prepared me for this one. <laughs> That's a tough question. It's funny. Uh, I'm trying to think back to what I even answered. We had our hundredth episode, and we just kind of celebrated and talked about various like moments in in the past i i will say that my I'll, I'll think of one and send it to you after for your show notes but i think any of the ones around career growth or interviews or our recruiting episodes have always been really my favorite i mean i'm a manager so i'm, I'm thinking a lot about that but i think it's been really beneficial for listeners i think it's like you can talk really technical uh about a topic and and that's great there's always things that you can look up online for that, but interviews and recruiting or thinking about new jobs, it's just really interesting to hear other people's perspectives on it. And there's not always a lot of material. I mean, there's material out there, but those have been some of my favorites. I mentioned the imposter syndrome episode. I thought that one was really a good one and and enjoyable. It's old, but a really good episode. Totally, totally. Well, we will include that in the show notes on the website not on iTunes. So come check out the accidentalengineer.com. Ryan, thanks for coming on. For more, visit us on iTunes or our website at theaccidentalengineer.com.